Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 20. I want to thank you guys again for the birthday wishes. That's very kind. I told the, the group on the first service uh, that it's hard to believe that I'm leaving my 20s now. It's no, no coincidence, by the way, that we're teaching about false teachers. <laughs> no, thank you guys. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter is in the middle of his farewell, his farewell letter. If you've been with us for a while, um, even probably just for one time, you've figured this much out. This is his last letter. This is the, his last communique with the church at large. And because of that, uh, because we know that he knows his departure is soon, this is his final warning shot to the flock of God. Peter has spent chapter 1, as it were, reminding the sheep. And the picture I'm getting all of a sudden is basically he's kind of huddling up the sheep, saying, okay, guys, little lambs, I'm, I'm not here much longer, so let me remind you. That's what he does in chapter 1. Quick review of where we've been. Verses uh, 4 and following, he says, let me remind you, little ones, You are rich. You don't need what the wolves are offering you. You already have the pardon of God. You already have the peace of God. You already have the power of God, believe it or not. You already have the promises of God. You can even be a partaker of the divine nature. That is, you can have the purity and the personality of God. All you have to do is use your key. Get to know Jesus. If you're like, what did he just say? Get the tape. That was a whole message in about 30 seconds. Basically, Peter starts by saying, don't forget, guys, you are already rich. You don't need to fall for their stuff. Okay? Then he says, yes, you're rich, but get richer. That is, add to your faith. You see it there in verse 4 and 5, I think, maybe. Um, Add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and agape love. The the way to summarize that message was that Peter said to this group, he said, look, you're rich, but get richer. The best way of protection against false doctrine, false teachers, is to grow, to keep growing in the faith and the knowledge of our Lord. Okay. Then on Thursday, how many were here on Thursday? Okay. Um, One of the messages that, that Peter gives in his last reminder in chapter one is this. Rely on the word. Rely on the word. Uh, To summarize last Thursday's message, it was basically this. God's word is reliable, so rely on the word. Look at verse 19, and we'll start to get closer to our text here. And so we have the prophetic word, okay, the scriptures. We have the scriptures confirmed. The word confirmed there is proven, sure, steady, trustworthy, okay? So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. So pay attention to it, because it's reliable, And here he says how to do it. You would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Where it says dark place, when we looked at it, the Greek actually means not just dark, but squalid. Peter left off by saying to the church that God loves, a church that's surrounded by dark, squalid conditions, you cling to the word. Like, like it's a candle in a dungeon. No matter how dark and nasty your life is right now, you cling to the lamp of the Word of God. 
It's your only source of hope and safety is this lamp, the word of God. He says until look at verse 19, the end of it, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. We saw on Thursday, Revelation 22. Who's the morning star? Jesus, the bright and morning star. What Peter says to those who are in darkness, in squalid uh, conditions, and maybe you're like, hey, that sounds like me financially or whatever it is. He says to them, your morning star will soon break like the dawn. Will soon be flooding into the dungeon that you find yourself in. And his name is Jesus. But until then, you cling to that lamp, the word of God. Okay, that's where we left off. Now, Peter, he's got the sheep huddled. He's given them reminders. Now he changes his direction, changes his focus, and he goes into, instead of just reminding, he goes into full-on warning mode. Up until now, he's just been reminding, you're rich, respond by getting richer, rely on the word. Now, in his huddle with the sheep, he begins to warn, just as Paul did. Do you remember? In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20, verse 29, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church and he says the almost exact same thing that Peter's saying throughout this whole letter, which is, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You hear it, it's the same message. Both Peter and Paul were concerned about the sheep that were going to be left after their departure. So Peter says here, there will be wolves in your midst. And they'll look an awful lot like sheep. Look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I know it looks like I'm skipping a couple of verses, but we'll get them. Verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Cheery. Whereas chapter one was all about Peter reminding the flock. Now, Peter goes very swiftly into reproving. That is twofold. He reproves, warns the sheep. There are deadly wolves among you. But also, as you go through this chapter, you see he's not just warning the sheep. He is rebuking the wolves. He is laying into them. Remember, Peter has been assigned to be the Lord's under shepherd. Jesus said, John 21, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, right? Feed the sheep of God. Peter has been assigned to be the under shepherd for the Lord. He knows his time is short. He knows he's not long Uh, for this world. And I think Peter in chapter two says, I'm not going quietly. I will shoot this warning shot off the bow here. Peter writes some of in chapter two, some of the most scathing words, most scathing condemnation that you'll find in the New Testament. And the reason is because he is the Lord's under shepherd. And I got to thinking, I think this is really important to say as we come into this chapter two. If you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus, if you've surrendered your life, your will to him, if you have become one of his sheep, he loves you. 
He loves you dearly. He literally laid down his life for you. He loved you to death. I want you to remember that all of the judgment, all of the railing accusation you find in chapter 2, it's, you're tempted to, to maybe be uh, fearful of it or whatever, but this is the way it should translate to you if you are one of his sheep. You should hear it this way. Look at my shepherd. Look how he loves the sheep with a jealous passion. With what, what fury he loathes those who would dare go after his beloved sheep. Y'all get it? I think we need to say that at the beginning here. Far from bringing fear to our hearts, chapter 2, if we are real sheep, should bring great comfort, safety. Wow. My shepherd is willing to fight for his sheep. Okay? All right. All that said, you guys want an outline for this morning? All right. Here we go. Basically, this morning, Peter starts out. He's really going to get into the judgment that that follows these, these wolves. But here's what he's getting at for this morning. How do you identify these sheep? How, how can you ID, ID excuse me, a wolf in a sheepskin suit? I got four D's for you. Number one, a wolf wants your dependence. He wants you to depend on him. Number two, a wolf's ways are deceptive, which is exactly why we're having the lesson this morning. Number three, a wolf's ways are destructive. And then finally, a wolf's ways end in destruction. Okay, here we go. First one, wolf, a wolf wants your dependence. Now we go back. Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 20, where we left off. Peter says, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's important to, to get this in context. Remember, in verse 19, Peter has just finished saying to the flock of God, look, rely on the Word. It's your only hope. Right? Again, like that candle in the dungeon, you rely on the Word. But right after he says, rely on the word, he shows us here, Peter's no no dummy. He realizes that any false teacher worth his salt is going to use what? The word. He's going to use the word to think, make you think that he's for real. So right after Peter says, rely on the word, he says, verse 20, knowing this first, meaning, okay, get this from the very beginning. Don't lose this. Knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word interpretation, it means loosening. That is, unraveling. Here's where Peter's going, I think. Some guy comes to you and he says, you know, he's got this really great looking sheepskin suit. Say that five times. And he says to you, look, you should just come follow me because I've unraveled the mysteries of God. I have special hidden knowledge. I've got my own private interpretation. Or maybe it's a group of people or maybe they come to your door in pairs. They say, just saying. Maybe, 
Maybe it's a group of people. And what they're saying is to you, we have hidden knowledge. We have stuff that, that you don't understand. Poor you. You know, you're so deprived. The, the idea is they want you to think that they'll say something like this. Well, it's, it's great, you know, that you go to a church where they, they study the Bible and stuff. But if you really want to go deeper, then here, come to our Bible study. Whoop, whoop, whoop. The alarm, yeah, the alarm should go off, right? Listen, the truth is in the book that you hold your hand. But listen, and this is where Peter's going. It is out in the open. It's not, you don't need a decoder ring for it. Okay? There, there's no hidden stuff that only some highly anointed teacher can unravel. Verse 20, knowing this, first... That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. He says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, make no mistake. Peter says, look, this, this book that you hold in your hand is supernatural. And it is deep. But here's what happens. The false teachers take that and they go, well, yeah, it's supernatural. It's too, it's too deep for you. You need me. To unravel it for you. Peter says, no, 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 no. And he goes back to where the, where the scriptures actually were created. Notice in verse 21, prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's Peter's point. Realize, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, every, quote, author of the books, even Peter and Paul themselves, says, Look, the, the people who wrote the book, they never, they never looked at their watch and said, okay, I've got a half an hour. I think I'm going to write some scripture. They never thought it up on themselves. They never said, okay, now I'm going to set, out, set forth that which uh, God is saying to all mankind. There was never a time when they just said, I'm going to re write part of the Bible. He says, no, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved. Literally, it means carried along as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You guys hear what he's saying? Peter says, look, God, it is a supernatural book. God is the author, the source. Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Paul, even Peter, all of the, quote, authors of this book were moved along. They were the pen in God's hands. They had nothing to do with the actual content other than he used maybe their personalities and stuff, but they were the pen moved along by the hand of God through the Holy Spirit. Please track with me here. Peter's point is that Scripture originates through and by the Holy Spirit, right? It's not from men. And here's the point you don't want to miss. Because of that, Scripture can only be unraveled by the Holy Spirit not by men. And here's the thing. The Bible says, if you're a believer, if you are born again, guess who you have inside of you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has promised, not only am I going to write this book, but I will come and I will explain it to you. John 14, 26. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, he said this. He, this is a promise from your Lord. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. 
I don't know if you're if you're getting this, but Peter's saying, look, no one has the market, has cornered the market on spiritual truth. It's all out in the open. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher. So when when you hear a guy, when a guy comes to you with a really nice sheepskin suit and says, look, you need me to understand the scripture. You say to him, you're bad. You're badly mistaken. He's a wolf. That's what Peter says. See, a false teacher wants your dependence. He wants you to think there's no possible way for you to understand this deep, deep book without his divine insights. That's wrong. It's wicked. It's from the devil. You have, if you're a Christian, I'm speaking to you, you have the very same Holy Spirit in you that I do. You have the exact same teacher, the Lord Jesus, available to you. And I hope you hear, I hope you've seen, if you've been coming for a little while, I hope you've seen that I don't want your dependence upon me. As unorganized as I am, you would really be wrecked. I don't want your dependence on me. I want your dependence upon him. That's why he keeps saying over the last few weeks, especially quiet time. Get in the word. Just you and me, Jesus is offering to you. I want to be your teacher. I want to be your tutor. It's dependence upon him that makes Christians grow strong. Okay. I don't know if you remember, but Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he commended the Bereans. Do you remember? Acts 17, 11. Paul, one of the greatest preachers in the world, right, comes, speaks to these Bereans. This is your family memory verse, by the way. And, and Luke writes this of the Bereans. The Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. <laughs> I just like to be Thessalonica, called out like that. In that they received the word with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They heard the greatest preacher probably in all of the world, and they were, they, it says they received it readily. They were like, oh, this is awesome. This is really good. Also, okay, I'm going to write that down, and then I'm going to go check and make sure that he is right. They received it readily, but they were not gullible. And Luke commends them. Y'all, you need to do that. You really need to do that. You thought about if, if Sundays is the only time that you get fed the word and I'm your only teacher. You realize how gullible that makes you? What wolf meat you are? Right? I mean, how do you know? I, I could have hit my 22nd birthday just now. No. It could be that the, the, the birthday that I just hit all of a sudden turns me crazy. <laughs> that I just went off the rails last night and you don't know. The only way that you can be sure is to be in the book and search the scriptures to make sure that these things are so. If someone tells you, look, I've got a deeper understanding and I'd like to have you over for dinner. You are the dinner. Okay. Number one, then wolves, they want your dependence. But next, number two, a wolf's ways are deceptive. Okay, you guys get a chance to read the word here. Whenever I pause, you read the next word nice and loud for me, okay? I think you're going to see that wolves are sneaks. They are fakes. They are false. Um, here we go. You guys read the, the fal- false kind of words. Here we go. Verse one. But there were also false prophets among the people. 
just actually before we go on there, he's saying, look, there were real prophets in the Old Testament, but they were also these false prophets. Okay, even as there will be false false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Then look down at verse three. By covetousness, they will exploit you with Deceptive. deceptive words. That's number two, that yes, a wolf wants you to depend upon them. But number two, a wolf is really extremely deceptive. They're good at what they do, and that is being sneaky. Matter of fact, that's actually the whole reason for today's message, right? Is that false teachers are good at what they do. The word false prophets there and false teachers in both cases. uh, The first one is pseudo prophetes and the second one is pseudo didaskalos. And it's in both instances, it's pseudo, which means looks pretty real, looks pretty good. Yeah, but no, it's not. It looks right, but it's false. These guys are good. They're deceptive. And that's why Jesus said, Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, the whole reason we're having this discussion this morning is that you're never going to have a false teacher come to you and say, Hello, I'm your friendly neighborhood wolf. And I would like to tear you limb from limb. Anybody in? You're never going to have a preacher get up and say, I want to devour your faith and your family and destroy you. Can I get an amen? It's not going to happen. They come in sheep skin suits. They come in sheep suits, not cheap suits. Sheep suits. They look like sheep. They talk like sheep. They might even sing like sheep. They might even have that sheepish grin. Verse 1 says it's an age-old condition. Even in the Old Testament, there were, there were real prophets. He says, but there were also false prophets among them. Right? Verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Wouldn't it be nice if every false teacher who walked into the church wore a black cape? Snidely whiplash. And went, <laughs> right? I mean, if that was the case, we could be like, uh, ushers, please escort Mr. Whiplash out the door. It doesn't happen that way. They become disguised. Uh, they are among the people. Hence Peter's warning. Verse 1, but there will also be false prophets among, there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Okay, everybody take just a second and look suspiciously at your neighbor. No, I'm just, just kidding. Verse 1, false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, though it says, bring in destructive heresies. Secretly. The word means to introduce or bring in secretly or craftily. Listen to this. Literally, it means to bring in alongside. Now that's enlightening. What he says is the way that these these guys work is not to just come in and say, okay, I'm replacing your Bible with uh, something else. No, they say, yeah, we believe in the Bible. And we're just, gonna, we're just kind of bringing this alongside. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, just for instance, there's plenty. They don't out and out jettison the Bible. They just bring in alongside other things. So quickly, a couple more identifiers for a false teacher. If someone invites you, because again, they like to work in secret, someone invites you to a Bible study, 
But they say to you, hey, let's just kind of keep this between you and me. Bad. Okay? Jesus did all of his things out in the open, right? Um, If someone, if you're in a Bible study with someone and they want to bring alongside the Bible another scripture or another philosophy, all of that stuff, bad. The false teachers, it says, will secretly bring in, and then it says, their destructive heresies. Heresy, it's, it's from the word that means to take for oneself, to prefer or to choose, to choose by vote or to elect to office. I don't know if you've thought of the word heresy that way. Then what it means in, then is at its root, it must mean this, to choose some other way. Heresy is rejecting God's explicit prescribed way and saying, no, I prefer a different way. Now, allow me to riff on that idea for just a second. And please understand what I say when I, when I say this. Please, please know what I mean. I wonder how many heretics we have here this morning. And I mean that in love. Really, I, I do. It's hard, hard to explain, but here's what I mean. If you, if you go with the, the normal version that we have, heretic, somebody who is destined for hell, then this doesn't qualify. What I'm talking about is anyone who knows God's will and you have chosen a different path and you're currently in it. I, I said on Thursday, it seems like a pastor's job sometimes is to say out loud that which convicts us all. Right? I wonder if there's some in the room this morning that you're convicted of, quote, heresy. That is, knowing God's prescribed path for you. But you've taken a turn. You've gotten off the path. You've chosen your own way. I can tell you, and that's why it's awkward with the wording, but I can tell you that He loves you. I think the reason he told me to put this little spot in here is because he loves you. He doesn't want you down the wrong path. And we're going to see that path does not go anywhere good. He wants you on the right path. Perhaps this morning he's calling some to repentance. If you're on the, the path that you're on is currently that, not that which he has called you to be on, you can take care of it today. You need to take care of it today. Okay? That's to you sheep who just happen to be off on the wrong path. Here's the thing, though. If instead you are one who is actively leading others to destruction, I don't think you're going to find any such sympathy for you here in this book, in this, this uh, chapter. There's no sympathy for a wolf who's out to lead others to destruction. Here's why. Number, number one, we saw wolves want your dependence. Number two, wolves are destructive. Their ways are destructive. But here's the, or deceptive. But here's the third one. Wolves' ways are destructive. We're going to see that as we go through. Both their words, that is their doctrine, and their walk are destructive. You guys, uh, let's, you guys read it again. You'll see that word destructive or destruction. You say it. Ready? Verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who, brought them, who bought them, and bring on themselves swift. And many will follow their 
ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By the way, that word is destructive too. Uh, verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their does not slumber. Peter says of these wolves, you can tell he's starting to get revved up here about these these wolves. This is like that their words are destructive and their walk is destructive. First he talks about their words, their doctrine. Look at the end of verse 1. Who will secretly, it says, bring in destructive heresies. That is their doctrine. The, the things that they teach are going to destroy lives. Perhaps physically, perhaps temporally, perhaps eternally. The, the word destructive there is apolia. It means destroying, perishing, ruin, utter destruction. It's not helpful to the ones who are currently being killed by the sheep. But one way to tell a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing is by the wake of carnage that's behind them. I don't know if you've heard this, but what's a great way to tell a wolf in sheep's clothing? Watch what it eats. You see a whole bunch of sheep uh, eating the grass, right? Um, feeding on that which actually makes them grow. You see a whole bunch of sheep eating grass, but then you see one guy over here has a sheep leg in his mouth. That's bad. The point is that the, the false teacher leaves behind him a wake of carnage and destruction. Let me give you a few examples that just popped in my head. Again, we could talk about all of these all day, but the false teacher and the carnage he leaves behind. For instance... The carnage that is left behind that who preaches the prosperity doctrine. That if, if, God, if you love God and God loves you, there's no reason at all that you should ever lack anything. You should not be poor. You should, be, you should have a jaguar in your, in your garage. Here's the carnage. It's over and over again the people who love the Lord, but they're now convinced that He is mad at them because they're not prospering. Financially. Or the carnage of the health and wealth crowd. That is, alongside their sickness, now they're dealing with the fact that it's because they don't have enough faith. That's what they're being told. It's carnage. Ruined. Or the carnage of the permissive postmodern teacher. That is, uh, he who says, look, the Bible doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it used to, or it doesn't mean the same thing for me as it does for you. The carnage that follows that teaching is broken marriages, shattered lives, addictions, all of that stuff. Y'all, these are just a few of the destructive heresies, that is, choices, that a false teacher says, well, I know God says this, but do this. This is, this is totally legitimate choice, heresy. And then at the very top of that list of destructive heresies, you'll find it in the middle of verse 1, it says, some of them, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. The word denying, it means to not to accept or to reject, to refuse something offered. The most destructive heresies of all are those that deny the real Lord Jesus. Oh, they'll tell you that they love Jesus, right? But it's a different Jesus they love. They'll deny something about his deity. They'll say, well, he's not really God in human flesh. 
No, he's the maybe the first created of all beings or he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Whatever it is, they're going to deny something that the Bible says about him and his deity. Or they'll deny his virgin birth. They'll just say he was a very special man. Or they'll deny his atoning death. Or they'll deny his physical bodily resurrection. Or worst of all, and this is probably the most prevalent these days, they will deny what the Lord says about himself when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one is getting to the Father except by me. The worst heresy of all is saying, well, I know Jesus said that, but he didn't really mean it. There's, there's got to be some other way that you can come to know him. It's heresy. And think about it. This is why God hates it. You're sending someone off the, the right path and sending them on the path to destruction. This is the reason that Peter is so railing against these guys. They are leading so many down the wrong path, away from the real Jesus. That's what it says. Look in verse 2. It says, and many will follow. The, the word follow there it means to tread in one steps. Many will follow, will follow the same path as these guys, their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Um, he kind of transitions here and, and says not only are their words dangerous and deadly, but their walk is deadly. Because where it says uh, ways there, the word is hodos, and it means a road traveled. So he's talking about a conduct, uh, the way that you, uh, that you live. The New Living Translation is a good one. There for verse 2 it says, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of them, Christ and his true way will be slandered. Peter's saying, after I go, these wolves are going to come in. They're going to have deadly doctrine. And their example, their walk, is going to lead people astray. And he says, it will cause the way of truth, the real way, to be blasphemed. That is, railed against, spoken evil of. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that, couldn't Peter have just opened up the paper today? Right? says that these, these teachers are going to fall into not only heresy, but immorality. And the world then will blaspheme, speak evil against the real true way. That means the world's going to say, when they look at these, the, the folks who, who fall, they're going to say, look, apparently the way, the real way of Christianity is hypocrisy or adultery or cheating on your taxes or whatever it is. Peter says not only will their words destroy, but their walk will destroy. Not just their, life, not just their language, but their lifestyle as well. They're going to muddy up the message. And how... How awful is that? And, and all of the time it seems it happened. How many times do you try to witness to somebody and you have to first explain what so-and-so did? It's because they have blasphemed the way of truth. Now, conviction alert. Whoop, whoop. Again, that's sort of my job. Is there anything in your life right now, Christian, I'm speaking to, that if it were to be found out, the way of truth would be blasphemed. That is, cynical people would go, ah, there you go. That, that's not really the, the, the real way. It couldn't be because that guy claims he's a Christian. Or to flip it on its head, cynical people say that, but sincere people 
are now like, now what? That's, that's the person that I thought had it together in, in the Lord. Is there anything in your life that cynical people would find it easier to attack your faith and sincere people would find it harder to find the way of truth? That's enough conviction for you now. A false teacher wants your dependence. A false teacher's ways are deceptive. A false teacher's words and walk are destructive. And look at verse 3. You're going to see all of that. All of those things kind of in verse 3. He says, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness, it means the greedy desire to have more. It's the word avarice. What he's saying, at least on the face of it, first of all, and probably most prevalently is this, for many of these false teachers, it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the dead presidents. Okay, for you you that are as old as me or older, it's all about the money. For a lot of them, it's just... How they can line their pockets. So many of the false teachers, they see the sheep, not to feed, but to fleece. How can I get something out of them? Now again, it might not be money. It could be power or prestige. It could be a lot of things, but it's the people that pretend like they're feeding the flock when they're in fact fleecing the flock. He says, to get more, they will exploit you with, it says, deceptive words. The word is plastos. That's where we get the word plastic. Molded, formed as clay from wax. It's, it's to, to try to fool somebody and by using plastic means. Plastic, fake, but carefully formed to, it says, exploit you. Listen to what that word is. It's emporomaya. And it's the same place we get the word emporium. In the New Living Translation, it says, In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. And the Old King James is actually my favorite in, for this verse. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, fake words, plastic words, make merchandise of you. He says these false teachers, are, they're going to come and they're going to look like they're, they're your best friend. They're doing all, all these great things for you. But really, what they're after is making merchandise of you. How many of you guys are, remember when we, when we started this thing, you guys remember this very uh, pretty uh, slamming thing that I wrote here? Uh, a message to, to everyone. As we started this directory, one of the things that I, the reason it took us five years to begin one, because I know of situations where people will go through a directory and they will look at the other sheep and go, hmm, I can get some money out of them. Or, hmm, I can use this list to go and to uh, tear down the church. Now, I'm, I'm so thankful that that hasn't happened yet, and I'm hoping that it's in part because of this. Now, this is my own little Peter soliloquy here, right? This is in no way to be used for any commercial purposes, Avon, pampered chef parties. No one is allowed to use this list to make merchandise of God's flock. Nor shall anyone use this list as a vehicle for communication that tears down the body, gossip, backbiting, that kind of thing. Here's my point. Let me, let me make sure that I'm saying, I'm not saying don't ever have a pampered chef party. Don't invite any of these people. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, don't go through this list people you don't even know Really? And then and look at it and go, I can, I can make money off of these people. Listen, 
God does not look kindly upon looking upon the other sheep as merchandise. Don't ever look at the flock of God as something that you can use for your benefit. It will not end well for you. Okay? Verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. Let's get back to the, the real culprits here. These guys. Let's not talk about us anymore. Talk about these guys. He says, by covetousness, they will, they will exploit you with deceptive words. He's talking about that word emporium. He is saying, look, these guys, what they do, they traffic in the scriptures. That, that word emporium, again, it means to traffic in, to trade in. They traffic in the scriptures for their own gain. It occurred to me. I'm sure you're aware in the last few years especially there's been a lot more awareness about the evil that is human trafficking, right? People making money off of other people's physical lives. The only thing I can think of worse than trafficking physical lives for monetary gain is trafficking eternal souls. Do you get it? No wonder that the fourth point this morning as we close is that a wolf's end is destruction. The end of verse 3, it says, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. The word slumber there is uh, nitatso, and it means to nod off in sleep, to, to be overcome or oppressed with sleepiness, to fall asleep or drop off to sleep. See where Peter's going here? He says, look, these guys, they think they're getting away with it. See, they don't see any visible consequences right now. So they think that God is asleep at the wheel. They think that the judge is just nodded off with a gavel in his hand. They don't realize, Peter says, their judgment, not just recently, but for a long time, has not been idle. That their destruction, as it were, is wide awake, quite lucid. Verse 1 it says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, who bought them, and bring on themselves, it says, what? Swift destruction. We've seen that word as we close here. Swift doesn't mean immediate necessarily. Here's what it means. It means when it happens, it's going to happen quick. It's takinos is the same place we get the word tachometer. Not necessarily immediately, but when it does happen, it will be without warning, without remedy. You won't have a chance to, to fix it. Now, I'm not going to say a lot more on this last point, the, the fact that the wolves' destruction is coming, because Peter's going to be talking about it now for the next chapter, which in our terms translates to the next year or so. <laughs> let, let me just close with this statement, okay? God knows how to punish ravenous wolves. We're going to see it Thursday. He knows how to punish ravenous wolves, but listen, He also knows how to protect His sheep. Aren't you glad you're one of His sheep? You are one of His sheep, aren't you? Lord, we love You. We thank You. Thank You so much, Lord, for... This body of believers, Lord, the flock whom you love. Thank you, Lord, for your tender care, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing to literally lay down your life for the sheep. Lord, though we scattered and we were, we were no good to you, Lord, you were noble. 
You died, Lord, for us. But Lord, you live again. And you're coming back soon. Help us, Lord. You know every heart in this room, Lord. You know those which just need to hold on and to to cling to the lamp uh, until you come and you break forth. Lord, you know those who... uh, they, although they know your way, Lord, they've chosen a different way. You know those whom you're calling to repentance. Lord, you know those whom maybe previously sometimes have looked at the body as uh, ways that they might be able to uh, benefit or comfort themselves. Lord, all of it, we want to just come and, and bow before you, Lord, and lay down anything that's that's not of you. We want to spend this time of application very wisely and and honoring to you in Jesus' name. Amen.